Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn today to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls." And uh, you have here again, the, the, at the conclusion of Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, the men there, or at least some of the men there, uh, are pricked in their hearts and they ask, what shall we do? And this is Peter's answer to them, that they should repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And he says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, you, you see the kind of the the national character of Peter's message there, when he tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, right? Um, He's he's calling that nation to repentance, but as we've seen, uh, obviously you can't have that national repentance without individual repentance. And last time we we saw the place that uh, water baptism played in that message of repentance. And you notice what he says will happen after they repent and are baptized, uh, he says that they will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's an important uh, transition that you need to be aware of here in the book of Acts, having to do with this this order of these things regarding repentance or or belief, uh, regarding baptism. We talked about about water baptism and some of the transition that takes place there. But but uh, also the order here with regard to this gift of the Holy Ghost. You see the order here is repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, we as, as you know, members of the body of Christ in the dispensation of grace, um, you know, we see how later on, the moment somebody believes, they receive the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily manifested in the way it was on the day of Pentecost, where there were these, these visible and, and, and auditory as well, visible and auditory manifestations uh, of the Spirit. But we take it by faith on the Word of God that every believer, whether, whether baptized or not, has received the gift of the Holy Ghost. But you see, that's not the way it is here on the day of Pentecost. It's repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that gift of the Holy Ghost is not given until after the water baptism there. All right? Now, as you come through the book of Acts, you see a a change taking place. Now, if you think some of these issues are, are confusing today, imagine living in this time. Okay? And, and this transition is taking place, and, and you know what you experience uh, with, you know, with your salvation, but then the other people, you know, there's these other things happening. Um, for instance, when you get over into Acts chapter 10, and Peter is sent to Cornelius, 
there, uh, Peter preaches, and upon believing the word, Cornelius and his household receive the Holy Ghost, and Peter kind of kind of adds water baptism as sort of an afterthought to that. It's not repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost. They repented, received the Holy Ghost, and then Peter says, well, they've got the Holy Ghost. I guess we can't forbid them from being water baptized, right? And they get baptized. Um, let, me, let, me show you, let me show you even a, well, maybe a more confusing example. Go over to Acts chapter 19. Now, when you're in Acts chapter 19, you're not, you're not in the beginning of Acts. You're not even in the middle of Acts. Here you're, you're getting toward the end of the book of Acts. And notice what happens here. Um, Acts chapter 19, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, I don't know where these disciples had been in the meantime. When you're here in Acts chapter 19, in going, in going from, from where we're at in Acts chapter 2 up to Acts chapter 19, realize we're moving ahead in time about 20 years. All right? So, so this isn't just a short period of time. We're moving ahead 20 years in time from from Acts 2 to Acts 19, and here's these guys 20 years later that say, we, we, haven't, even, we haven't heard anything about a Holy Ghost. We, we don't even know there is such a thing. right? Now, it calls them disciples, and Paul calls them believers. He asks them if they've received the Holy Ghost since they believed. And yet, they have not received the Holy Ghost and, and don't really know anything about it. Um, so Paul seems to be a little perplexed as well. He said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? Now, as far as what's recorded here in the text, it doesn't tell us how Paul knew that they were baptized, but he obviously does. And, and he says, Well, what, under what were you baptized? Now you see, just in the question, what's assumed in Paul's thinking also here is for these, you know, for these kingdom saints, this connection between water baptism and the Holy Ghost. Paul is saying, under what were you baptized? If you weren't baptized under receiving the Holy Ghost, like Peter said on the day of Pentecost, then under what were you baptized? And they said, on, they said under John's baptism. Okay. Now again, we don't know the details of how these men could be in this state 20 years later that all they knew was John, John's baptism. Um, obviously, they were around in, in Jerusalem there at the time of John, which would have would have been you know nearly nearly twenty five you know twenty three twenty four years previous to this. They were obviously there. They had been baptized under John's baptism, um, but they obviously weren't around later on. They weren't around on the day of Pentecost. They haven't been around since to know about what's been going on with these outpourings of of the Holy Ghost. So they've been baptized. Now, realize when, when you start to consider all of this, um, they've been baptized under John's baptism. They appear to not even really know about Christ. Now you say, well, how could they be believers if they didn't know about Christ? They, they believe John comes on the scene before Christ, right? And when John comes on the scene, John is, is the first one who has a message from God to Israel in 400 years. There's 400 years of silence from the close of the Old Testament to all of a sudden the appearance of John the Baptist. 
And John is, is preaching. Now, if somebody believed John's message, they were saved when they believed John's message. Okay? Uh, here these men were saved when they believed John's message, and they were baptized in water by John. And who knows where they were. Maybe they were from some other part of the world, maybe whatever. Uh, they're not around, and they don't know about anything that went on after that. Now, Paul fills them in to the details. In verse 4, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And, and it says all the men were about twelve. Now here... They get rebaptized. They've been baptized with John's baptism. They get rebaptized now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Realize John did not baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, John baptized certainly with authority from God the Father, but not in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, but Christ's disciples, you know, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. We saw uh, how he instructed them to do that. And here they are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. But even here in this case, notice it doesn't say they were baptized and they, and they received the Holy Ghost. Paul lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Ghost. Now, when you read these kinds of things, understand what you see throughout the book of Acts is you see change. And that is why it's a very dangerous thing to pick out one account of how something happened in the book of Acts and say... We're going to do that because that's the way it has to be done. Because for every way that something was done with regard to this order between belief, baptism, Holy Ghost, every, time, every, every account that you see in the book of Acts, for any one of those that you might pick out and say that's going to be the standard for our church, there's a bunch of others where it's different. In Acts 2, it's repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Ghost. In Acts 10, it's believe, receive the Holy Ghost, get water baptized. Here, it's Acts 19, it's believe, get water baptized, find out some more things later, believe that, get water baptized again, Paul lays hands on you, then you get the Holy Ghost, right? Um, I don't know any church that picks out this one as being the norm for their church, <laughs> right? But uh, do, do, you see, do you see how that could be confusing? And do you see why you can't just pick out you know, one, of these, one of these accounts and say, this is how we're going to practice it in our church? Now realize there are churches that believe that somebody does not receive the Holy Ghost until after they've been water baptized as per Acts chapter 2. They pick out that one. There are other churches that take Acts chapter 10 and it's believe and receive the Holy Ghost and then get baptized and that's what they teach in, in their church. And there would be other, other uh, differing accounts as well that you could find here in the book of Acts. Uh, of course, the reality is when you get out of the book of Acts and you get into the epistles, you find out that there's a spiritual baptism, and that's the one baptism, and you find out that the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of the Gentiles, was not sent. He says he wasn't sent to baptize. Okay? And... and so the issue today is not when you got water baptized or what, you know, what the, when somebody believes the gospel, they receive the Holy Ghost and there is a baptism, a spiritual baptism that takes place there that, that rendered, that's the one baptism in Ephesians 4 that we're to have unity about. 
talked last time about all the disunity about this issue of water baptism. We're supposed to have unity in Ephesians chapter 4 to endeavor, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit over one baptism, which is the baptism that God performs when a person believes the gospel. Okay? And that, that renders any other baptism superfluous. But on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that baptism that, that Peter preaches there is not superfluous, and it precedes receiving the Holy Ghost. Okay? I hope you see those, those differences there, and uh, you see the, the point with regard to the, the, you know, dealing with these things in the book of Acts. Remember that... Um, I, I used to make the statement, I don't make the statement anymore, I used to make the statement that the book of Acts is not a book of doctrine. Now, that's not really an accurate statement that you can make, because what does is, what is, uh, Paul write to Timothy about the scripture? He says it's all given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Every book of the Bible is a book of doctrine. You can't say the book of Acts is not a book of doctrine. But keep in mind, the book of Acts is not primarily a doctrinal book. It's, it's recording a transition that's taking place. Okay? And so, especially things in the early book of Acts, you have to be very careful about pulling those things out and saying that's the norm for the church today because everything's in transition. All right? Let's go back to Acts 2 then. So, so you see the order. It's repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, verse 39 says, For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, sometimes people try and read a lot of things into that promise there, the, when he says the promise, for the promise. You know, usually when you have a, a term like that, I mean, you ought to ask the question when you read verse 39, what promise? If he says the promise is unto you, your children, all that are far off, uh, what promise is he talking about? Okay, when he says the promise is unto you, without defining what the promise is, what you ought to do is look in the context of what he's talking about to see what the promise is. And here the promise is that gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what the promise is. The promise here is, repent, be baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay? And he says, as he speaks here to Israel, when he says you, that's Israel, for the promise is unto you and your children. Promises to you, Israel, your children, the children of Israel. And he says, to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And, and you see it says, uh, with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Now it doesn't tell us all the other words, but we can assume the rest of what he's saying is just reiterating what, what he said here in the message. Um, you know, he doesn't just stop there. He, he continues, you see, to testify. That's for Peter to bear his, his witness uh, about the word of God, and to exhort, which is what he's doing when he calls them to repent and be baptized and, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's exhorting them to that. And, and you see it says, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Um, the, the generation there, 
The word generation in the Bible is a, a word that, you know, if you, often if you read much, much writing about Bible prophecy, uh, you'll find that often there's a, a lot, there's a big deal that's made regarding the meaning of a generation. Uh, so, for instance, um, in, in, you know, back, back years ago, in the year 1988, uh, there was a, a famous book that was written, bestseller, that was called 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. And one of the, the main reasons that was given in that book had to do with what a generation is. Um, and, and oftentimes, you know, the prophecy teachers will define a generation as being a certain extent of time, a certain period of time. And they look back, for instance, in the Old Testament when, uh, when Israel came out of Egypt and then they refused to go into the promised land and the Lord told them that that whole generation would pass before they would be allowed to go into the promised land, and that was a period of 40 years. And so, uh, some prophecy teachers said a generation, a biblical generation, is 40 years. And then they would turn over into, into the Gospels, where it says, this generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. And they would say, see, that's a prophecy uh, about a 40-year period of time. And, and then they put the beginning of that as they said, well, the beginning of that 40 years was the... the uh, creation, the modern creation of Israel as a state in 1948, and so 40 years from there, 1988, there's one of the 88 reasons why Christ will return in 1988, okay? Um, of course, that came and went. Uh, you have some Bible prophecy teachers that then, and, and there were among, among, you know, people that were really intense into Bible prophecy, uh, it, it seemed that it was almost unanimous, that a generation's got to be 40 years, uh, some people have, have said now, you know, well, generation is 80 years, or either that or they, or they move the, you know, they move the, the uh, beginning point of where the 40 years begin. Some, some people said, well, Israel was, you know, they were, they were created as a nation in 1948, but they, were, they weren't really established as a nation until 1967, so 40 years from that, you know, or, or whatever, you know, they always got to move the, move the, the uh, post there. The word generation in the Bible almost never is delineating a period of time. Even there in, in the Exodus, when he says this generation would pass, the generation was the group of people that had, had refused to go into the promised land, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, right? They were the ones who... who wanted to go in, of the, of the people they sent to go and spy out the land, uh, those two wanted to go into the land. They said, you know, it's not about us anyway. God's going to give us the land. And they were allowed to go in. Everybody else who were adults at that time died. Now, that took 40 years for that to happen. It's not, it's not necessarily a coincidence that it takes exactly 40 years. 40 is a, a period of testing in the Bible. But in saying that, that, this, you know, that the generation would pass, it wasn't saying a period of 40 years has to pass, it's saying those people have to pass. And that's why a generation is always a, a group of people. We use the word in that way. Now, we often will refer to a generation as a group of people that are born within a, a certain period of time that maybe have a, a, some commonalities in their outlook on life and, and that kind of thing. But even there, you know, we might border on using the word to mean a period of time, but really we're still talking about a group of people. The, 
the Greek word here is the Greek word geneo. We get our word genealogy from that and the word generation from that as well. Um, it's, it's a word that would talk about a, a, a people. Uh, sometimes it's translated as a nation. Uh, it, can, it can mean your offspring. Somebody's generation would be their children. Okay? And here when he's talking about an untoward generation... Now remember, he is calling Israel here to repentance. Israel needs repentance because they're an untoward generation. That's who the untoward generation is. That word untoward, by the way, um, the, uh, the, the Greek word is the word scolios. Now you know what it means if somebody has scoliosis? It means they have a curved spine, right? They have a curved spine that, that makes them, I mean, when it's severe enough, makes them unable to, to function properly. That's the state Israel was in. They were an untoward, they were a, a you know, a scolios generation uh, that was, they weren't, they weren't fulfilling the purpose that God had for them. They were this crooked, the same word is translated as crooked and perverse generation. And when Peter tells them here to save themselves from that generation, he is not in any way indicating that they have the ability to somehow, through their works, save themselves from their sins. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is, here you have this opportunity, you've, you've been preached this message about Christ, and you're being called on, you're being invited, and the word call there means to invite, to summon. You're being summoned to repent of you know, that nation, the sins of that nation, be baptized, which then was like taking a, you know, a public stand of that. Remember, remember um, when the Pharisees came to John to be baptized? It was same, the same significance in John's baptism. And he said, Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Right? Now those Pharisees were trying to get baptized because they had some sense that that would allow them to flee the wrath that was due to Israel, but they wanted to do it without really repenting or believing anything first. And John refused to baptize him, right? But, but that baptism was associated with fleeing from the wrath to come. Peter has just told them about the wickedness and the wrath that's going to come, and he's given them the opportunity here to flee from that and to save themselves from that untoward generation. Again, you shouldn't, you shouldn't think from that that he's telling them to save themselves by their works. He's telling them, to save themselves from that untoward generation, be delivered from that wrath that's coming on them through repentance, you know, and we talked about what that means, um, through repentance, water baptism, um, and, and receiving that gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, it's the same kind of thing when Paul writes to Timothy and he tells him, to, he tells him about, about, you know, preaching doctrine, and he says uh, in... He's, I'm not quoting it exactly, but, but he basically says, in so doing, uh, you will save yourself and them that hear thee. Now, you realize that when, when, you, when you share the gospel with somebody and they believe the gospel and are saved, you realize you're not their savior. You didn't save them in the sense of, of actually you know, accomplishing the thing that saves them. Uh, what Paul means when he says that to Timothy is not to place Timothy in the place of being the Savior, but to, to place Timothy as having the responsibility to you know, hold forth that word of God 
And when he says to Timothy, there's more even there than just salvation from sin. There's deliverance from, you know, from the, the, the power of sin as well. Um, when he tells Timothy, you know, in doing this, you're going to save yourself. Again, he's not telling Timothy you're going to earn your salvation by preaching the Word of God. He's telling Timothy, you give attendance to the things of the Word of God, and it's going to deliver you from a lot of things. Right? That's, that's true. Uh, if you'll give attendance to the Word of God, if you'll spend time learning, learning it, studying it, fall in love with the Word of God, you're going to be saved from a lot of things that you would have to deal with otherwise. Right? And in, in teaching it to others, it'll save them from that as well. That's the same kind of thing here when he says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. He's not telling them, go out and do the things to affect your own salvation and to pay for your own salvation. He's saying, here you have the opportunity to be saved from this generation, but it, but it requires a response on your part. Save yourself from this untoward generation. And you see, uh, in verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, Peter had said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's about 3,000 that are, that do believe and are baptized and are added unto them. Um, these these 3,000, now, there were many more thousand there at Jerusalem. There were many more thousand that heard Peter's words. Uh, don't, you know, when it says that, that, back a few verses earlier when it says when they heard this they were pricked in their hearts that's not every individual standing there that was pricked in their hearts remember some of them think these men are just filled with new wine right not every one of them are pricked in their hearts not every one of them are saying men and brethren what shall we do uh, there's three thousand there that believe that day and are added to them three thousand out of a group of many more thousands also keep in mind that of these 3,000, not many of them are actually going to stay there in Jerusalem. They're going to go back after the feast is over. They're going to go back to the, to the countries that they're from. Now you have this church at Jerusalem, this, this group of believers here at Jerusalem that includes those disciples, includes, you know, there's others besides the 12 disciples. And then you would certainly have people added to them here this day. Uh, but you also have a lot of people that are going to go back to their, their countries that are living out among the Gentiles, that are going to go back to their countries, go back to their, their cities, where they might be the only person who knows anything about Christ. Now, what we're going to see as we go into the book of Acts, that as they go back into their countries, they don't go immediately and start telling all their Gentile neighbors about what they heard at Jerusalem. Um, it, it, it's going to tell us later on that these people that, you know, they go out, they preach the word to none but the Jews only. They don't get the idea here that this is something that they're immediately to go out and, and take to all the nations. Again, we've seen Christ instructed the disciples they were going to get out to those nations, but there was an order that was going to, going to take place. And it's not until you get much later into the book of Acts that you begin to see the, this, you know, the, the uh, message of God's grace going out to the Gentiles. But you have here a, a, a church at Jerusalem that doesn't really begin on this day. I mean, it, you had believers there in Jerusalem prior to this. But this early part of the book of Acts now is going to focus on 
these believers at Jerusalem. And uh, you, you uh, again, you see these, these 3,000 here, some of which would have been from Jerusalem, others who would go back to other places. And, and by the way, it's, it's probably true as well that some of these people who had come from other places after hearing this message maybe didn't go back home among the Gentiles and said, we're going we're to stay here in Jerusalem. This is important what's going on here, and, and we're going to stay here. But uh, you see in verse 42 it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And it says, Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.